Welcome to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center's Faculty Forum with your host, Matt Warhoover. There's Matt. I see Matt walking in. So uh, we can see him in Nashville. There he is. Man, I'll tell you what, that is one good-looking guy. There's not a whole lot. But, you know, there's very few people that are better looking than me. But Matt Warhooper and Joey Laporte, that's a pair right there. I'll tell you what. Anyway, with that said, uh, good morning. Good morning, Cammie. Good morning, morning, Matt. Good morning, Joey. Uh, let's play the intro for the Vanderbilt Faculty Forum. And then they're going to... You did that already? I did that. And uh, so there they are. There's Matt and Joey. Matt and Joey... The floor is yours, sirs. Can we hear him? Well, there he yeah, is. Yeah, well, th thanks, Joe, for having us. Dude, are you kidding me? Thank I, you for doing this and taking the time out of your Wednesday mornings and all the time it takes to put this stuff together. We appreciate you. Our audience appreciates you because we've really enjoyed this. This has been, I hope you guys are seeing some increase in, you know, contacts, I guess, really is the end of the day is trying to connect all of us together. Uh, but I hope that this has been as valuable for you all as it has been for us, because it's been tremendously valuable to us. Well, glad to hear that. Uh, we definitely had some uh, more contacts concerning uh, the content. Um, in fact, I, I've directed uh, about a, a half dozen to a dozen people to watch today's uh, uh, episode um, as, as this is kind of a, a real a hotbed of, uh, of, of, of a topic um, kind of unique to Vanderbilt and a, and a handful of other places across the country, but um, it, it's, it's really starting to take off as far as um, uh, the idea about DCP uh, cardiac um, transplantation. And uh, with the, you know, we'll we'll get into it. Why uh, it's it's really uh, obvious that it, this is the direction that's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're. It's. I'm very yeah. interested in hearing this. I know we had planned on it being something else today. The guys had, I think, the wrong title up or whatever. But I think this is a much more timely and a much more relevant topic, actually. And uh, because we have all of, in fact, we need to get together because we have all of 2022 to really start thinking about. And uh, we're meeting today after the program to discuss what plans we have for the future so we can maybe change some of the stuff that we're doing to make it a little more exciting for people, bring in some new new ways of doing things. Um, and I'd like to get your guys' input on that as well. We're going to meet, and then Tammy and I, and uh, uh, Min, probably Magic, no, but uh, we're not going to bring Magic again, but we're going to bring Min because he was so upset we didn't bring him the last time to Nashville and talk with you all. Because for us, I don't know what you all are seeing, but the pandemic is, at least I hope we don't have another surge, but hope is not a strategy. So I'm planning for another surge, but I'm still very hopeful that we may have seen the, the worst of this at this point in time. I don't know if that's what you're seeing. We are seeing a small decrease uh, in, in the numbers over the weekend uh, a little bit up but you know I, I think that's just a blip on the radar it's not like anything it was you know uh three or four months ago yeah very good okay i'm sorry i'm gonna stop talking now i'm gonna turn my mic off and listen no no problem uh, i just want to thank again for having us uh, joey's gonna have to uh take off uh one of us has to make this uh meeting uh, this morning at, at seven 
And so uh, he's going to take off. And I just wanted to thank him for being here with us. And uh, if his meeting gets over, he'll be back. Okay. Sounds good. Joey, it's good seeing you, man. How's life treating you? Is it well? You doing well? It's good, Joe. How are you? We're good. How about your family? They all doing oh. well? Every, everybody, <clears throat> Everybody's good. Celebrating my wife's birthday, so you know everything is good. Fantastic. Well, ha- congratulations. Happy birthday to her. Make sure you do something nice. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Without further ado, we'll get on with the with the with the. Uh, so we've we've had a, a lot of phone calls lately, and a lot of uh, of of really emails, all kinds of. Uh, inquiries about uh, this DCD uh, heart transplantation that we're doing. And we call it uh, NRP just for short. Uh, it's the normal thermic regional perfusion. Essentially, um, uh, what, what it is, we can go to the next slide. Essentially, what it is is that we're going, uh, we're going on brain death donor. Um, and they, you know, the, the family has requested that they become an organ donor. Um, the patient had already consented to be an organ donor, and uh, unfortunately, uh, they just don't make the qualification of, of actual brain death. Um, the family and the medical community uh, decides that you know they are not going to have a functional life um, after whatever incident place. And what, what ends up happening is that they're old. Um, hey, hey, Matt. Um, Matt typically in the operating room. Hey, Matt. Um, but, but, you know, we have done it in, in a post-anesthesia recovery area, PACU um, area, and then after the patient officially passed into the operating can, can we get his attention, please? Because this is important. Everything okay? Hey Matt, yeah, your connection is bad. Like it's you're you're fading in and out, and this is so important. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to lose. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. It may be feedback. Do you have my mic? Do you have? Uh, what's going on? Do you guys know? Because this is really important stuff, and I want to make sure that our connection is good. Is that better or not? Yes, that is better, actually. Just do a countdown for me, five, four. Five, four, three, two, one. That's good. That's better, yeah. much better. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Could you go ahead and just start with your, no, no, no. your DBD again? Because I yeah. think we really missed some important pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially what we're doing is um, uh, we're, we're being contacted by an OPO that there's a patient out there um, that doesn't necessarily qualify uh, for for brain death, and so uh, because the patient you know is a, 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 a an organ donor by choice, you know they've elected uh, prior to the uh, incident or the event that happened uh, to to that they want to be an organ don- uh, donor. The family and the medical community that uh, and the medical staff that's taking care of them has determined that they probably will not have any more functional life because of the event. However, they're not quite considered a brain death donor. So what ends up happening is that the, uh, with the consent of the family, the, the medical team will withdraw care on the patient 
and they will die naturally, um, a, a cardiac death, and that's where you get the, 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 uh, the donation after cardiac death. Uh, the withdrawal usually happens in, a, in, a, in an operating room in a, in a fixed environment. We have had it where uh, the patient, uh, you know, is withdrawn on in the uh, post-anesthesia recovery area or a PACU, and then they're quickly wheeled, af uh, wheeled into the operating room after, the, uh, after their death. Uh, but we prefer it to be in an operating room. It's a lot more uh, uh, controlled. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's very organized. Um, and that's, that's how we prefer to do it. Sometimes, uh, you know, region to region, state to state, even institution to institution, they have different policies set up on DCD. Um, uh, it can be a, a two-minute standoff period, a five-minute standoff period. Um, you, you can drape the patient sometimes. Sometimes you can't. So it, it's very uh, unregulated uh, currently of what, what you know, what you can and can't do to, to patients prior uh, to, to them expiring. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, next slide. Uh, you know, essentially the, the, first, the first cardiac uh, donations were the DCD uh, because the technology wasn't available to actually, uh, you know, determine if people were brain dead officially. So, um, you know, there was landmark cases after the fact uh, and, and actually, uh, uh, Colorado had the first pediatric experience of, of how uh, cardiac donation uh, was more or less set up years and years ago. Next slide. And, and this is a this is a a paper that uh, that is really it it delves about the the DCD the, the outcomes of uh, heart transplantation. It's, the, uh, it's an international experience out of Australia, uh, primarily, and this is where it really caught um, kind of wildfire in the inter, uh, more or less in the international community. Um, the Australians and the New Zealand um, uh, teams were some of the first ones that, uh, to delve into this. And I, I, you know, it really, it really uh, paved the way for uh, you know, the European experience and, and the, the, the North American and the, and the uh, uh, Asian experience, and everybody is doing this now. Next slide. And then finally, you know, you're looking at, you know, what, what are these outcomes looking like versus, uh, you know, your, your regular uh, brain death uh, uh, donations. And really, we're not seeing much difference at all. Um, it, uh, you know, it, not we. Uh, the community is not seeing much uh, of a difference at all in the outcomes on your five-year experience. Next slide. So this is where I, I, I find it's most the most compelling argument, and you know, kind of a forum like this, um, you know, I, I, it's this is a talk, but you know, as Joe, as we always do, this is a it's it's really a, a formal roundtable. So you know, th this is the slide that I really want to really kind of fix on and actually have some interaction with. Uh, you know, we do 2,600 DC donors across the U.S., uh, and, and you, we can just scroll through some of the, uh, the data there. Um, you know, and half of those um, are donors under the age of 35. So they're, they're fantastic organs as far as on a, on a, on a, uh, a, from a chronological age and from the length of, you know, the length of time that someone uh, that's going to receive this valuable gift, uh, how long that, that donation is going to last. Uh, for them. 
And so if you just look at just, if, if we were going to use, you know, just 30% of those organs, you, we would have an increase of 400 hearts a year. And, you know, the reality is, is that, that that is a huge number uh, in comparison of what we do uh, cardiac-wise across the country. Uh, next slide. Um, the advantages of brain uh, of the of the brain death um, is that we have a high quality. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The the, uh, the advantages of a DCD donation is that um, you know whether we like it or not, um, our 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 younger people um, tend to um, you know have a I don't want to say a higher incident of accidents and or um, uh, you know, neurological uh, devastating events that happen to them. That's just the nature of, of unfortunately, young people. Uh, they recover. They, you know, they they can actually make it through an event, um, whether it be a you know a, an automobile accident, um, uh, you know, uh, a drug overdose. They and and those patients are viable organ donated. You know, viable people that can actually donate um, to transplantation. And a lot of those times, those organs are just being discarded. Um, they're, 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 they're perfect organs, and there's people out there that are, that are really needing those. Uh, unfortunately, unless they are prior to the incident uh, a, a donor, they're not eligible. So it's only people that actually have signed the card, have done a medical uh, waiver uh, that, that is, you know, uh, attested by, you know, by uh, some sort of witness. That's the only way that these people can be uh, donations. So if they're not donors prior to the incident, the family cannot uh, consent to do that. Next slide. So the disadvantages of, uh, of DCD is that there is definitely a warm ischemia time. And uh, there's a, we're going to play a video uh, at the end of the talk and show, show exactly from from knife to skin to uh, you know to getting on uh, um, a, a bypass machine, what that involves. But there is definitely a warm ischemia time. So when when the patient is, is beginning to expire, you get a loss of blood pressure, you get low SATs, and organ deterioration is happening. You're getting in poor end organ perfusion, and so at a map of 50 is when uh, you know the international community has decided that is when we start. Uh, you know, more or less a warm ischemic time. Um, as warm ischemic time goes longer, there is a risk of uh, post-graft, uh, you know, dysfunction uh, after transplant. And, you know, we're st it's, we still don't know the long-term risks. Uh, we know there are long-term risks. We just don't know where that cutoff line is with this warm ischemia time. Um, and to be quite honest, it's more technically challenging the longer, longer the organ you know, goes uh, under a warm ischemic period, um, it's, it's more technically challenging. The heart actually dilates more, um, and, and you, you may or may not be it in the video, but we definitely see it, uh, you know, when we're when we're doing these. Next, next slide. And then the, the conventional DCD recovery, like I said, there's a higher risk for warm ischemia non-recovery. Uh, there's in, in, there's an increase in organ injury, and the reason that is, it's not a it is a controlled environment, but er, you know they call it time as tissue, and so from a knife skin incision 
to a sternotomy, to opening up the pericardium, to making sure that, that you get access to the head vessels to clamp them off. And we'll talk about that as well. There's, there's a lot of things that are going on rapidly. You want to do it in a controlled fashion, but everybody is moving pretty quickly. And uh, you know, many times, whether it be a, a cannulation um, injury where you get an aortic dissection or uh, you, know, you get a hematoma that, uh, on the aorta or just cutting in, sometimes you can get into the right ventricle. Um, there, there's, a, there's risk of injury to the actual organ when it comes to the cardiac through the sternotomy. Um, it, you know, cannulation happens all the time. These cardiac surgeons cannulate all the time. The problem is, is that they don't, they don't cannulate on a flaccid aorta very often. And you can imagine, um, you know, the heart. There's no, there's no heartbeat. It's the, 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 the heart is, you know, asystolic. The aorta is flaccid, and so trying to cannulate a flaccid aorta can lead uh, to, you know, some innate problems just that self, uh, just in itself. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that's and then, you know, and then you want to combine that, you know, you have, you want to take, you know, there's always, uh, I say always, many times there's kidneys and the liver teams that are there. Uh, but we're starting to see more and more uh, of, of lung VCD donation. And so when you combine that, that, you, you know, you have, uh, you have four teams uh, on a chest or, you know, on, 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 the, uh, on the patient uh, that just recently expired. You've got four teams, usually two people per team scrubbed in. Um, I want to say it's organized chaos, but it's very, it's, you know, it is, it is very, uh, there is a, a very uh, important, and, and there's an impetus on, on time. Everybody, they're, they're announcing every 30 seconds how long our warm ischemic time has been uh, from its skin incision. So the, the whole idea is everybody in the room is, is, under uh, under the gun, if you will, to try to get uh, the organs turned back around, and um, the protocol for prepping, extubating, standoff time—that's all variable from institution to institution, state to state. Um, and then when you add putting the lungs back into it, um, the patient is usually extubated um, most of the time. Sometimes they'll just disconnect from the ventilator uh, with the ET tube still in place, but most of the time they're fully extubated. And then the patient has to be reintubated. So there are some other uh, things going on outside of the sterile field. Next slide. So really, what it is, it's a little bit of organized chaos. Um, it, it is a, a, a sternotomy and the rapid cannulation perfusion uh, of uh, uh, of the uh, of the patient with a warm blood for about 45 to 60 minutes. And then we reanimate that. Um, and then what happens is after a 30, uh, uh, 60 minutes of warm perfusion, we go into the cold storage where we do it just like a regular brain death. We'll cross plant, we'll give cold cardioplegia, and then the, the donation um, plays out just like every other uh, brain death um, donation. Whereas, whereas if you if you go where the OCS is, the reanimation is on the OCS. So the difference between the, the DCT, DCD NRP and OCS is OCS, they just do a, a regular um, cardioplegia delivery, cut the heart out, put it back on the, put it back on a machine and reanimate it. This is actually be, being reanimated in, in, in the donor for a fixed period of time until we can get all organs 
turn back around as far as with good oxygenated blood, uh, get all the uh, metabolites washed out, and then we proceed with a regular cold, cold storage um, donation. Next slide. So this is what the NRP uh, actually looks like in the chest. Um, we have a uh, we have a mobile uh, actually it's a it's a mobile ECMO circuit that has a cardiotomy reservoir in it. Uh, we used a, a, an ECLS uh, circuit. Um, the very first thing we, we do before cannulation, the head vessels are exposed, and there is a large cross clamp that's put across all all the head vessels. Um, so no perfusion ever actually goes to the uh, to the head or or to the upper limbs um, from from the, the three head vessels off of the aorta. Um, and then what you do is you continue to perfuse um, the lower body and um, and then there's an assessment of you know of the organ function um, for all those uh, that are taken, whether it be kidney, liver, lungs, and heart. Um, we're able. We're actually able uh, at times to also take pancreas and small bowel as well. Um, they those teams are in the room, but they're just not in uh, in the field at the beginning. And the reason why it's important to have all uh, all teams available, if if the uh, the cannulation does not go well for to place the uh, the patient uh, on our on our pump. The cardiac team backs away immediately, and all other organ procurement people uh, proceed as a regular DCD, not an NRP DCD. So, you know, we've dissected the aorta before, not able to get good perfusion uh, to the donor, and so the cardiac team has to immediately back away because we're actually just causing more warm ischemic time for those other organs. Next slide. And this is a Long, uh, this is kind of a tough slide for everybody to see, but this is a timeline uh, of events that I've, I've, I've kind of discussed. Um, I, it, it's, you can't really see it really well as far as the screen, but uh, what essentially happens is there, there's a timeout. Uh, we all discuss what, who we are, what teams, what's going to happen. That's prior to doing it. All the teams walk out of the room um, that are affiliated with the with the procurement, the patient. Um, with the medical team that on site is taking care of them, the patient uh, they withdraw care, and the, the one of the nurses actually uh, sends vitals out to the procurement teams in a, in a separate in a separate room, and so we continue to watch uh, the vitals. At some point, uh, the patient will go agonal, um, anywhere between you know instant you know instant as soon as they uh, withdraw uh, care and extubate. Sometimes they'll immediately go agonal. Uh, sometimes it, it takes two two hours. Now the family is in there with them. Uh, usually, um, you know, they've got an arm out, and the family is there in the operating room. Um, and, and so they get to, you know, they get to experience, um, you know, taking care of their loved one, whether it would, you know, just like if they were in an ICU. And so there's a uh, attending physician in the room. Once the uh, once the patient expires, the uh, the family is escorted out of the room. Uh, the family leaves. The procurement team usually comes in into a different uh, uh, doorway, and then there's the two to five minute standoff. The attending physician that's taking care of the patient identifies what time uh, the first uh, time of death was, and then the standoff period happens. 
uh, he or she listens for a heart rate over a sterile over a sterile sheet, and after the two to five minute standoff, uh, will listen again if they're declared uh, 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 deceased. The the sterile sheet that they were they were listening through gets taken off, and the teams immediately uh, start to make incision. Um, what happens is there's a, a regular skin incision from um, in the chest all the way down uh, through the abdomen. Uh, there's a sternotomy that takes place, and then uh, there's a, a opening of the pericardium. There's expo exposures of the head vessels. Uh, a big clamp goes on the head vessels. Uh, a right atrial incision is made. We cannulate. We drain. Um, the reason we drain is the heart is distended this time. It's 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 very big, and to, to reduce the amount of wall stress and uh, a, you know uh, energy ATP consumption, we drain the patient out, and then uh, an aortic cannula is placed uh, in the ascending aorta, uh, ascending aorta, and then we go on usually with uh, two to three liters a minute. Uh, we, the, there's no purse strings put in at this time, and so uh, it's very important that uh, the assistant is holding both the atrial and the aortic cannula uh, in place. The cardiac surgeon sews purse strings around the, the cannulas. Once they're in, uh, then we usually come up to about five liters, six liters a minute, and uh, we try to uh, promote an index of about two, six to three um, uh, on the patient to hyperperfuse them. Once that, once we're on like that, the, the cardiac team will put in a, 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 a PA vent, and that's to vent the right heart, mainly, but, uh, mainly just in case the heart doesn't come back in a good rhythm, we're protecting that right heart. About 90% of the time, uh, by the time they get the atrial stitches in and the aortic cannula stitches in, uh, the heart has already come back to a normal sinus rhythm. Um, if they haven't at that time, we'll shock before we put the PA vent in. Um, we drain. Once all cannulas are in, the cardiac team steps away, lets the abdominal teams really get uh, you know, good vis visualization of their organs uh, and, and get the, uh, the blunt dissection down to the vessels that they need to as well. We perfuse for uh, 45 to 60 minutes. A, uh, a cross clamp is put back on the aorta. Pump is stopped. We drain uh, through the right atrium, and a cardioplegion solution is given, just like a cold storage. All the other organ systems are being perfused at this time as well, and we drain all the uh, perfusate uh, solutions from all the organ systems back in into our uh, cardiotomy reservoir. And a regular organ donation uh, continues after that, and everybody goes their separate ways. Next slide. And so this is our pump on the right. Uh, you can see uh, we use currently, we use a Levanova trolley system. Um, and then we just have a, uh, a cardiotomy, a Medtronic cardiac reservoir, it's a centripetal pump. We use a vacuum assist, and we hook uh, two pump suckers up to that that are only used by suction. We don't have roller pumps on this. Um, it's very mobile. And then this is our back table. Um, this is the back table setup. Um, that we have the lines are already put up on the chest and as you can see we've uh, you know we've got um, really everything we need right there and the assistant and the cardiac surgeon that's procuring it's a very orchestrated event everybody uh, talks about what the what the plan is on the plane 
we get there on site just in case there's a change. We talk about it again as a group and everybody knows their roles and it's a pretty efficient process. Next slide. Um, so once we're on pump um, the, and, and the vent is in, the cardiac surgeon, once the uh, other team uh, kind of gets in, uh, gets get started on their organs, they'll place a cardioplegia needle that we hook up to a pressure transducer back on our trolley system, and we'll watch the we'll watch the uh, hemodynamics, mainly because uh, once the head vessels are clamped, our right or left radial artery, uh, you know, there's no we can see an EKG come back because they've got the uh, ECG uh, pads placed on the on the donor, but usually, um, you know, when we have that cross clamp uh, up on the head vessels we immediately lose the art line. So we're actually perfusing blindly as far as a pressure. Now that the surgeon can have a tactile feel on the aorta and they can give us their best estimate, but what we usually do is we'll put a, a cardioplegia needle in with a transducer back and we know that we're gonna use that same needle when we, when we procure uh, the heart at the end of the uh, reperfusate time. Um, we're taking labs back there for the manifold just like we would do it on, on a heart-lung machine. We run lactates and we run pH, uh, ISTAT, uh, CG8, and CG4 cartridges. Um, we'll give bicarb, we'll give calcium, we can give uh, insulin, we can give dextrose. Um, we have the full complement of uh, potassium, we have the full complement of electrolytes and, um, uh, and drugs to, to try to best um, turn the, the organ around. And so that's really all we can do from an NRP. When you do OCS, you actually can see what coronary flow is. You see instant pressures, and you're, you're trending lactates that are specific to the heart, not global lactates like we do in NRP. Next slide. And then, uh, really, the other the other uh, difference between NRP and uh, which is you know versus the OCS is the distance. Um, we we recently did a two-hour and 45-minute flight last week, um, and that's the longest we've gone with NRP. Uh, it had a, a total ischemic time of four hours and 45 minutes. Patient, uh, the, the recipient did fine. The organ was fine, but that's pushing the limits. Uh, anything over four hours um, of, of ischemic time, we, we know that you know, the organ starts deteriorating rapidly. So really, that's about two hours and 45 minutes of airtime is what we were. That's not ground transportation uh, to and from uh, the donor and to and from the recipient. Um, so that we've really pushed the limits. That's, that's probably as far as that, that we're willing to go. Um, whereas with the OCS, you have 14 uh, you know, the, the, uh, people out of Australia and New Zealand They've had it on the box for 14 to 16 hours. The most we've done here at Vanderbilt is 10 hours. Four of that is, is really was sitting in-house already, just trying to see if the organ was going to turn around, and it did. It just took a, a, a longer time. But we, we really, you know, about five or six hours, seven hours is really our typical uh, organ run. Next slide. Um, predicting the demise. Um, it's, you know, reflexes. Are you breathing over the vent? Um, and, and are you needing hemodynamic support as far as um, with 
you know, phenylephrine, levofed, that type of thing. Age, and I, I will throw one more thing in there, um, you know, the, the, the predictability of what the insult was. Was it an acute event, um, you know, whether it be a, uh, or, or was this a, a conditioned event over time? Is also um, kind of a, a predicting whether the, uh, the patient will uh, expire um, uh, within the time frame of, of, of your warm ischemic window. Um, with OCS, the warm ischemia window starts with a SAT of 70, less than 70, or a, a mean arterial pressure. Um, what we've done with the NRP is that we've just decided that it's just going to be a mean of, of 50. Um, we, don't, we don't feel that the predictive measure of a SAT on the finger really predicts what, what is happening at the, at the, uh, at the cardiac level. Um, your heart is seeing the most oxygenated blood in the body, and so we don't feel that the uh, you know a, a pulse ox on the finger is a good predictive measure of, of warm ischemia for the actual heart. Hey Next Matt. Slide. Hey Matt. Before you yeah. go on, um, you you just had a little hiccup, and you were saying yeah. that your warm ischemic time starts when the SAT is sev below seventy. That's for OCS. And OCS. And then you also said pressure, but you, you glitched at that point, so I didn't hear what it's it was. 50. It's 50? 50 yep. for so we do, uh, we NRP. Do mean yeah. We do mean arterial pressures of 50. Okay. So this is our NRT. And, and by the way, when this talk was given, when I gave this talk last, we've updated it. Um, so what we do is, so this is our average age of what we've done here at Vandy. Um, we're, we're actually up to 27 now, so you can see that this hasn't been updated. We, this is with four, an N of 14. We're at 27 now, and so we've made some changes. Um, the, the agonal starts at 70 or less than 50. We have wiped away the, the SATs of 70 for NRP because we don't feel that a, a pulse ox on the finger is, is a good predictor of what is going on uh, uh, it, it, at, at the at the coronary level, mm -hmm. and so we we do sats. We don't we we wiped away uh, the sat as an agonal, and we've just stuck with uh, a, a systolic blood pressure of 50. Systolic. Whereas okay. in OCS, it's 70 percent and a map of 50. Yes. Mean arterial of 50. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So we we you know we we. Everything was modeled off the OCS because they did so much work and they've done a really phenomenal job with, you know, organ preservation. And what we've done is we've tried to modify it. As we get more and more experience with it, we continue to modify, um, you know, our parameters. Like I said, we've, we've gone out on the length of where we'll go get one. And, and to be quite honest, um, we've actually, uh, you know, made some tweaks um, and some changes of actually how we preserve the heart. Uh, as far as the, the cannula type, you know, the, the, our next step is, is it worth, because there's about a 7% uh, dissection rate um, on cannulation. Cannulating a flaccid aorta is, is, is not the easiest task. I've never cannulated at all, but, I, we, you know, we've got very experienced guys here, and it, it's just technically very, very challenging. So, uh, the next step that we're feeling uh, that we make make the change is we may put aortic cannula stitches in prior to aortotomy, uh, stab incision for uh, cannulation, 
just to have it more controlled, you actually have you actually have some uh, you know tethering of the aorta if you have stitches and you can pull against something as you as they're popping that aortic cannula in. On a flaccid aorta, there's there's all, all they're doing is holding the bakies. The assistant's holding the bakie with one hand because the other hand's on the on the uh, the, the atrial cannula. And the surgeon's pulling with another debakey, and they're just trying to trying to stab, uh, put a cannula in a flaccid aorta with just really two, um, two Pick, pickups. Two pickups. Yeah. Yep. And so the, you can see our times. Um, um, it's between one and four minutes average. Is two, and and that really hasn't changed. Um, the, the, even you know you think well you should be able to cut down a more more experience. It really doesn't change. Uh, it, there's a fixed amount of time um, that it just takes to do these things. And you'll see in the slide, uh, or you'll see in this video at the end that I have, uh, we'll talk about it then, but you can, you can see, um, you know, it seems like it just takes a long time to get on, but really it's always less than four minutes. Next slide. And then these are our recipient characteristics. Once again, uh, I'll say this is, you know, this is an N of uh, 14. We're up to 27 now, um, and so uh, the, you know the, the, the N is doubled. So I'm sure these uh, these these scores and, and these uh, uh, demographics have changed as well. I don't think we've done um, I don't think we've done a recipient over 69 yet, though. Next slide. Uh, and like I said. We've updated. We're up to 33. This was as of last night, so I, I apologize. I thought it was 27. We're up to 33. Um, of those 33, um, more than 17 livers were used. Um, uh, we know, like I said, we took 14 of the hearts when the slide was made. Uh, some of the hearts were not good, but the livers were. So I, I'm sure we're, you know, we're we're above 35 uh, on the livers used. Um, lungs, we've increased as well and like I said all the other all the other data is really irrelevant um, as as it's not been updated I apologize we've, we've done four this week wow. next slide and then this is uh, the paper from our, our colleagues uh, my colleagues here uh, dr. Hoffman dr. Shaw is our chairman dr. McMaster um, dr. Absey and dr. Trehanis are our team uh, of cardiac surgeons that go out, and then we've got our, our Steve colleagues, our cardiology colleagues, uh, Dr. Lindenfeld, and all, all the other cardiologists that are, uh, you know, that follow the recipients. Um, but this uh, this article uh, was published, uh, I believe, two months ago. So if uh, you get a chance, it's Dr. Hoffman if you want to uh, look that article up. Yeah. Next slide. Yeah. And then uh, the complications, you can see there's an uh, intramural hematoma uh, right there. And, it, you know, that's a hematoma, but it also, it also dissected. Um, once again, once this happens, the cardiac team immediately backs away, and the abdominal organs are still perfused and recovered in a normal DCD fashion. Next slide. Um, so... It's funny, we, we, we get compliments uh, after the fact uh, on, on a lot of our organs uh, after the, uh, the NRP. We've had, uh, we've had livers that start making bile um, 
it, while the surgery is going on on the implant. It's because they've been hyperperfused and they've been, you know, the metabolites have been washed out. And, and actually, it, it's a more pristine organ than on a traditional DCD. Um, and so, you know, some of the liver docs are saying, you know, these organs are, 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 are immediately uh, even in, uh, you know, in the middle of surgery acting acting like a regular organ would uh, on, a, on a regular, if you were gonna do a, a liver resection, you know, or you had to do something with a bile duct, um, you know, a revision. Uh, these organs are actually actively me uh, metabolizing. The liver is actually actively metabolizing things uh, while it's being sewn back in on a transplant. They don't see that very often. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, anatomical um, advantages they, you know, they're, they're not in a, a big hurry because they get great dissection out uh, while the patient, uh, while the donor's on pump, and literally they get good visualization. They get an hour, uh, you know, nearly an hour um, to actually mobilize and, and get everything to, to tee up their, uh, you know, their their explant of that of that organ, um, and so they they really um, they've really caught on and, and really um, are more or less. This plays to an advantage of, of the abdominal teams as well, and, and that's just not through data, but it's also word of mouth. And you know, a lot of these centers—they're not, you know, a lot of centers are, you know, big academic centers that are doing liver transplants, and so they're not going to produce the papers that you know the academic centers. But word of mouth, we we see these same people over and over again. They're just like, yeah, this is great, um, and, and we—they're a little bit cautious at first. Because they're worried about jeopardizing their organ, um, but once they even the scene when you know when the cannulation is not going well and they still get uh, you know get their organ, they, they realize that it's really no different um, whether the cannulation doesn't go well and they have to do a DCD as as a traditional liver DCD versus there's a huge upside if we do get on pump. You know the 93% of the time that we're able to to get on pump. Their organs are better, and, and the process is just a lot smoother for them. Next slide. And um, you know, this is probably the the thing I you know I'm not going to talk about this so much, but there you know there's really an ethical concern about this. Uh, you know, DCD. Um, you know, these patients are all uh, organ don't you know donors. They've signed the card. Uh, they they've got the medical um, you know document in you know in, in their um, in in their will, um, but there is still an ethical concern that you know these patients are not brain dead, and so we you know uh, the the teams that are taking care of them they are a patient, um, you know they're an advocate for the patient. There's a, a formal timeout just like on any surgery you would do, uh, and um, the procurement team walks out, and those you know those providers take care of that patient um, as well as they can within the confines of you know just withdrawing care. Um, and there is you know there is some ethics about you know you know when you withdraw care, you're still giving you're still giving meds um, to make you know to make people feel comfortable, just as you would while you were giving care to them. You're just removing a breathing tube, is essentially what we're doing. Um, but you know they continue to uh, you know give meds, um, whether it be um, you know analgesic meds. And the real efficacy is is you know 
are you giving, you know, where, where the discussion is how much, how much analgesic are you giving? How much, you know, um, you know, different medications, how much are you giving? And would you be giving that if it was in a different situation? And I'll leave it at that. We can have a discussion about that. Next slide. And, uh, you know, we are, you know, like I said, we've done four this week. It's, uh, oh, that's a great picture. They snuck that in on me. Um, yeah, that's us in the back of the van. Dr. Hoffman, Harry, myself, and Emily, uh, that's the team. Uh, we, and, uh, oh, and the, the uh, resident is actually taking the photo. So uh, they're not in there, but it's a team of five for us. It's uh, two perfusionists, two surgeons, and a uh, preservationist. The air and ground transport team, and um, you know, the institution where we're going, um, you know, they, you know, we're, they they provide a, a fantastic team with the OPO, and then back uh, at Vandy, you know, this has really increased our um, our our transplant program. I think uh, last night's was 106 or 107 um, for heart transplant uh, this year, adult only. And so, you know, it has really uh, increased, um, you know, our, our, our volumes. And with that, you know, it increases uh, the need for beds. Uh, our, our nursing staffing is fantastic, uh, both in the operating room and in the ICU team. Uh, it's, it's just a team effort. Next slide. And uh, so in, in conclusion, you know, we're supporting... Um, a DCD patient. Uh, it, it simplifies recovery of the organs. Um, it minimizes ischemia and maximizes actually organ perfusion because um, we're hyperperfusing, we're washing out the, the metabolites, and we're optimizing for cold storage, unlike on a regular DCD. So a DCD NRP um, really does all those things. Uh, it, it, it has uh, been shown, uh, you know, just if nothing else from the liver teams, uh, you know, as far as the, the structures, as far as strictures of vessels, it's definitely seen that we're waiting for some outcomes paper to come out from our abdominal organ teams. But we know here from a cardiac standpoint, it is, uh, we, we've improved outcomes and we have, uh, you know, an increase in, in potential amount of organs for, you know, for these people out there on these lists. And really that's the end game is that we have, uh, regardless of, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we still have an organ mismatch in numbers of donors to recipients. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is a way that we can kind of change the game and, and slide the scale, um, you know, closer to, to having a number of organs for the number of people that need those organs. I think that's, uh, you know, finally with, uh, you know, the OCS and NRP with DCDs, I think both platforms are going to uh, definitely have their advantages. The DCD uh, NRP, uh, I think regionally, uh, you're able to you know get organs that um, that are, are really advantageous in a local area uh, within flight times. And then when you use something uh, like the OCS, um, greater distances and and marginal organs that you're unsure that they're actually going to be functional. I think you know that that really is the, the, the platinum standard on evaluating organ transplantation. Um, 
we at Vanderbilt, you know, consider ourselves you know, a high volume program, and, and we're going to continue to have both platforms um, because it, it's just more tools in our toolbox, and it's a specific tool for a need. Um, it's it's kind of how we visualize it. And thanks for having me, Joe. Dude, thank you very much. Wow. Who are these gentlemen? So uh, I'll, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you guys. I, I know who they are. One, one gentleman's uh, near and dear here to Vanderbilt. Uh, once, wh where'd they go? Oh. What'd you take it down for? Hold on. Hold on. There, there we go. go. Okay, well, one's, one's smoking. That's, yep. that's interesting. So he, he, I believe he was at Hopkins. He started out at Hopkins. Oh. There's a movie about him. Uh, uh, was it uh, uh, What the Lord Has Made? So, why do you keep doing that? Okay. All right. So, tell us who they are. I can't guess. Well, so, um, uh, the, the gentleman smoking, I believe, is uh, Blaylock. Blaylock, okay. Oh. From Blaylock Tossing, yeah, procedure, yeah. Is yeah, that the, Charles Drew? Pediatric. Who is it? Oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Yeah. Yep. What's his name? Remember the guy that came up with the, the Blaylock tossing procedure? He was a yep, he, was he was a scrub. He was he ended up um, getting an honorary doctorate. What was his name? Now now you got me. Now you, I, I had the name. Um, Vivian Thomas. Oh. Vivian Vivian Thomas. Vivian Thomas. That's right. That's okay. Says Blay Yeah, and Blaylock didn't like him. They didn't but, but get he was along. A lab assistant. He, you know, because he, he, he was, Vivian Thomas was doing things, uh, you know, in the lab. And, you know, all of a sudden he was like, well, I, doctor, I, you know, I, I came up with this because, you know, you know, he, he was a lab assistant. He was a brilliant man. And uh, so they're, you know, they were, they were both, you know, we actually have a Vivian Thomas way here at Vanderbilt. Uh, we just oh. named one of the streets after him on campus. Outstanding. Nice. Outstanding. That's right. Vivian Thomas. That was his name. See, I got his name. I got his name, but I didn't know it first when I saw him. I didn't realize that now. So why are they? So I, they were at Hopkins. Where's the connection with Vanderbilt? They both they uh, they both started off here. Oh. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then they went to Baltimore. Uh, uh, so that, like I said, it's um, that they're 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 great works were done at Hopkins, but they originated here. I didn't. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I, did I didn't know. know that. And you're right. There was that movie. That I didn't see that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen. Was that. it a good movie? It's fantastic. Oh. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch it. Okay. So I'm assuming we have questions. Lots and lots of questions. And we've got one more video. If, if oh yeah. Got oh yeah. The it, video. I'd like to show that real I quick, and then see we can this. get into yeah. the discussion. Watch. So literally, you know it. So we did the sternal inc we did the sternal incision or the he's finding the sternal notch, and unfortunately this is about the time they realized that the sternal saw was broke. This was this was yesterday. Uh, we did a test run on the sternal saw, and when we came in after the family had left, and they're realizing right now the saw is not working. And, and I can see that's the a real problem. I can see the again, panic. So he grabs a heavy mayo, oh, wow. and he's like, "This isn't working." 
And our perfusion, we, we have we have sterile trauma shears that we use for cutting tubing. Yeah. And so we opened up some sterile trauma shears, and he was able to get through the sternum with some trauma shears. Wow. Not not our best. Uh, not like I said, not our best. Uh, but we don't bring our own instruments. We we bring our own circuits. We don't bring the medical instruments. You know, at the hospital that we're at, you know, we you know we rely on. We tested the sternal saw, made sure it worked ahead of time. But in the time that we had left the room and came back, something had happened. Wow. And it wasn't working. So you can imagine, you know, the cardiac surgeon is, is a little bit under because we should have just been able to zip through this chest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's thinking this whole time, you know, what's, you know, what, what's it going to be like? And somebody's and, getting ready know, to say 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so he gets through. Um, probably, I think it was 42 seconds was what it took him to get through there. Wow. Sternal retractor gets put in. The assistant, it's their job to open, and he's dissecting out. He finds the he finds the uh, pericardial groove. Pericardial uh, groove opens the pericardium. Is now he's trying to dissect out the head vessels with his uh, fingers and, and trying to get up high. So we can get a, a single clamp on all all of them in, in one motion, um, and he's really dissecting out. And so from now on is about the time that it, it's typical. This is how long. So there's this big curved clamp. He clamped the head vessels, and now they're gonna uh, they're gonna. He, he puts a a, a little um, uh, uh, L-shaped clamp, like a little curved clamp on the right atrium makes makes a little stab incision because it'll have blood pouring out of it if you don't have that clamp on it and then you, if you lose it it's underwater and it's gone so as the assistant takes that cannula off he or takes the clamp off he throws the cannula in we get hooked up to the line we immediately start to drain he'll tell me drain we put vacuum we're draining so now the right heart is not distended the left heart is still distended at this point um, because it's not beating. And so you can see that she's got a sucker. Just get out of the way. He's making a stab incision, getting ready. She's going to hold up with a pickup. He's going to hold up with a pickup, makes the stab incision. Is that cannulates, any OPA? Cannulates. He's going to put the aortic cannula, the aortic line up to it. It's full of air, right? Because there's no pressure in the patient. This is the other thing nice. I really, you know, so really want to emphasize. So he has me bump up, we clamp, but there's still the aortic, the aortic cannula is full of air. So he's got, he puts a stopcock on there oh, with a 60cc syringe. He pulls back blood from the aorta to fill the cannula retrograde. Closes the clamp and tells me to go on. So some of the, you know, the common physiology that we you know, take for granted and so now we're perfusing about two liters a minute, and you know now everything's calm, and 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 you know he's starting to grab stitches, and he's going to start sewing cannulas in. But you see that the assistant, both her hands aren't moving. There, she's a statue. She's holding the cannulas. There's no purse strings. But you on a, on a you know the, some of the things that we don't think about, you know, when we do a normal cannulation, we cannulate you know all the time as perfusion. Not we don't cannulate. We're part of that process. The whole. You know, uh, this is a completely different mindset because there's no pressure in these patients. 
uh, you know, there's a, a, a lot of venous pressure, no arterial pressure. Right. And so wow. I just wanted to show you that, uh, you know, we got a great video yesterday. It was Incredible. not, uh, wow. it was not designed uh, to be without a sternal saw. And so even with that, that was a three minute and, and 52 second um, from wow. skin incision, which you didn't see prior to that, to actually getting on with an aortic flow was three minutes and 52 seconds. It, and not having a sternal saw, that, that's that's fantastic. Wow. And and the the recipients doing great this morning. Wow. 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 Yeah, I'll tell you, I was really amazing at how how you could see the urgency. Yes. But then once you were on, it was amazing at how how it just like a light switch. You just Everything switched just off. Everything just calmed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that know, and had to be hectic. You know that that's what that's what that's what our our that's value our role. Is, <laughs> is that once once I mean seriously once we once someone else has done their their job as far as cannulating, it is in our hands and and, and we you know so primarily uh, you know Joey and I, uh, you know last night, sixty minutes it was it, you know the organs are in our they're turned around every fifteen minutes. Hey, what's our lactate? What's our global lactate? Mm -hmm. You know. And so, they, you know, all the teams are really relying on perfusionists, um, which I'd like to get into another discussion, uh, you know, after we, I want to talk about what the definition of perfusion and perfusionist is, because um, more recently we've had some, I've had some interactions and I've gotten some phone calls about uh, what the definition of a perfusionist is. Hmm. And um, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about what's going on there in our our, our community. Um, liver and lung, or liver and kidney teams are taking um, clinicians with them that are claiming to be perfusionists. Hmm. And while he may perfuse an organ on a kidney machine, or may perfuse a, a liver on a liver machine, they are not perfusionists, but they claim to be perfusionists. They're, they're perfusing, so they're perfusionists. But the term, um, it, 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 you know, it's like calling a doctor a doctor. They may have a PhD, but when you're talking, when you go to a hospital and you want to speak to a doctor, you're assuming that that's a medical doctor. Right. They may have, they may have a doctor in theology, but they're still a doctor. Right. And so that's, I'm seeing a lot of these people that, they, you know, in these hospitals that we have, I say, and they walk, they go around the room and they go, oh, this is uh, Dr. Hoffman from Vanderbilt, cardiac surgeon, uh, Matt Warver, perfusionist, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, John or Jane Doe, perfusionist from uh, Kentucky or uh, perfusionist from North Carolina. And then, you know, while we're sitting in the room, you go, hey, where did you go to perfusion school? Oh, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not a perfusionist. I didn't go to perfusion school. I just perfused. But they're being introduced and they're being sold to, to the, you know, to the room as perfusionists. Wow. Hmm. Well, and that's so, concerning. Uh, and, and just for a point of reference, Matt, you're, you're, uh, uh, you know, you were the president of the Tennessee, uh, state perfusion society. Are you still, are you still the president? Yeah, we, we, we're actually, we, we have a, a society. It's been inactive just because, you know, quite frankly, I, I've been pretty busy uh, with the COVID thing and uh, kind of had a little bit of uh, apathy for the, uh, for the, we haven't had a meeting in probably five years, need to get back on that. But, it, you know, we need a, we need a, we need help from, a, a, you know, the whole, 
community in Tennessee. Right. Uh, we just can't have one person or two people put on the meeting. So right. As you know, it's difficult to put on anything. Uh, you make it look easy, but it's not. Okay. It, I understand. Thank you for saying that. That's very true. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, a, a, the, the sign of a true professional is making the impossible look easy mm-hmm. or the right. improbable. I won't say impossible. That may be a little excessive. Mm-hmm. But just like this team just did, it's getting incredible. this patient on bypass, that looked very improbable when the sternal saw did not work. And then you try heavy mayos and they don't work. And then you go, I know what to, somebody said, use these. And it was probably you or one of your team that said, use these basically giant bandage scissors. I know it's going to work. These are the ones that they sell on TV where they cut pennies. You know, you've seen those advertisements before, those scissors. I mean, that's a reality. And that's brutal. Yep. That was brutal to watch. I mean, it's, it it's seemed like it was so know. long. <laughs> yes. But, you know, but at the end of the day, that's what a professional does. Right. Whether you're a professional sports player that makes a one-handed catch at the back of the end zone and is able to get both feet in bounds, mm-hmm. or you're a surgeon who is trying to get into a chest of this terribly tragic circumstance, but, you know, for the death of that patient, how many patients then got an opportunity to live? And the Actually, clock is ticking. This patient is deceased. This patient's not coming out of here. Or this, you know, this person is not coming out of this. But you don't want to have done all of this and then have wasted all of those organs. And the fact that you were able to do this and then you and your team being able to incredible. know exactly what to do for the essentially reanimation and the, 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 the correction of these patients' horribly physiologic deficits and derangements and then for you to bring up, and, and the reason I brought the Tennessee Perfusion Society isn't necessarily because, you know, inactive, active, whatever it is, but you have a vested interest in our profession and preserving and maintaining our profession, and you're bringing up something that's very serious, and that is people essentially are uh, impersonating what it is we do, and that's a serious concern. Absolutely. What kind of training do these people, are they just... Uh... Uh, scrub technicians that are trained to do whatever it is that yeah. What's their medical to, background? What, what do they What do they do well, normally? I you know what I I, I don't I don't know because hmm. where did you go to perfusion school? Because you know we are a small type you know right. community and, and you know you may not know everybody but you know within a region you've heard the name or you know or at least you know someone that they know. Mm-hmm. Um, once I asked that question, like, well, I didn't really go to perfusion school. I, I actually, you know, I actually perfused the, the, the kidneys, you know, whatever hospital they're with. The conversation kind of goes pretty cold. So yeah. I don't even know what their training is. I've had some people call from Maryland uh, most recently and uh, South Carolina. Um, the presidents of, 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 of different perfusion groups call and go, hey, are you running into this? Because we, we're we definitely running into this. And it's very concerning for their groups because essentially what they're doing is, to your point, they're impersonating, um, you know, the knowledge base. And, and so what what you kind of hit on something that, that I talked about with a couple of the people offline that, that have been calling about this is that, you know, you, you as a, we as a perfusion group, as a community know 
you know, pressure, you know, you know, pressure loops, and we know that, you know, what end organ perfusion should be, you know, we've got that training. They, they don't, you know, you don't, you know, unless you have that knowledge base, that, you know, many times that, you know, they go, well, we need to keep, uh, they, these patients are having levo put on. Well, you know, there's many times where I talk to the nurse, like, when you go to extubate, you're going to turn the levo off, correct? Because all levo is actually doing is actually increasing the vascular resistance, and you're giving it even less organ perfusion. Mm -hmm. And so trained perfusionists from a perfusion school know about those pressure loops, know about those vasoactive drugs. Someone that is, you know, whether it be a scrub, a scrub tech, I don't even know what their background is. They may or may not know that. And mm -hmm. when you're going to preserve an organ, you know, those things are important. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand the full global scope of what's going on from a physiologic standpoint, just not how to run, you know, a machine that you put a kidney in and you're, you're, you're turning two different knobs. Well, yeah. It's, you, it's, know, it's, you know, it's, you know it's, the old adage, you know, we're, we're, you know, knob turners, pump monkeys, you know, that's all fun right. and games and, it, and it's a joke and, you know, it's kind of funny, but the, the reality is, is that's not true. That's not who any of us are. Of course. Well, and, you know, it's and, one thing and, to and know. And that separates us from, that separates us from anybody else. Yeah. It's one thing to know how to do something. It's right. another thing to know why you're doing something. And when that really matters is when there's a problem. You know, it's, it's, it's all easy when it's routine. It becomes much more of a challenge when you get thrown curveballs and you don't you you can't think far enough ahead to know what can I do to fix this so that we don't have a bad outcome. I mean that's really troubling. You to know me. what's shocking to me is the the other teams, the non cardiac teams, I'm sure those doctors are aware what a perfusionist is and how they're allowing someone on their team to present themselves as that other than simply you know you've probably been called a doctor in your white coat before and you're quick to correct them oh yes. i'm not a doctor i'm a perfusionist oh, yeah. right. and Correct. so the person doing the the kidney perfusion or whatever should be quick to say i'm i'm you know i'm a technician here to perfuse the kidney you know it's just right, as common it's right. common courtesy. It's a common courtesy, and sure. it's just honesty. Yes, agreed. So, um, wow. yeah, I know. One question, because we have we have actual uh, questions about the topic today that oh, yeah. um, we want to get to. And by the way, um, uh, we've gotten Azerbaijan. How do you say that? Azerbaijan. Um, and also uh, from Greece saying uh, thank you very much for the amazing content and videos. I wanted to point that out to you. Um, but uh, uh, did you have some questions? I have a lot of questions. Uh, you go ahead. I, I've got just a couple. So on these, you know, on these uh, hearts especially, are there, you know, when you clamp the head vessels, and I, I realize it's pretty fast. It's faster than I thought, but I was th wondering Oops. about the hormonal neurologic effect on the organ when you clamp out the brain, because there is a lot of uh, concern about uh, heart transplantation, in particular after brain death, and actually that's, it is problematic from what I understand. What can you tell us about that? So we have a very, uh, and it's, it's not a, um, it's, it's not a proprietary thing, 
we we used a a full spectrum of co of, of of ingredients in our cocktail, if you will. Levothyroxine is one of the uh, is one of our additives in our priming solution. Um, so you know that that is replacing that's that's the that's, that's the T four um, you know end product from the brain, and so we use that as as one of our priming. We have a, we add a couple multivitamin vials um, that. It's an adult multivitamin. It's two, two vials of that. Uh, wow. One's a, a yellowish substance. Uh, the other's a clear. Has a, a, a laundry list of different ingredients, and in those, hmm. those are all um, in hopes to replace end organ uh, vitamins that are a lot of, uh, that are, have a lot of regulation uh, from hormones. So uh, the the reality is is that. We're putting in a lot of uh, of drugs into our prime to offset some of the insults that we, we do by by the you know by having an F. So we did. I don't know if you noticed. We don't have a blender, so we're taking direct 100% oxygen from the anesthesia machine from a flow meter, and so we have the capability of controlling sleep, but not FDO2 or FiO2, whatever you want to call it. So well, sometimes our PO2s are in the five and six hundreds. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, all, you know, it doesn't matter where you subscribe to, whether you subscribe to, you know, uh, you know, uh, for oxygen-free radicals, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a demise or dying situation. Organs aren't necessarily, you know, acting as they would, you know, in in you know, in healthy patients. So we use uh, uh, we use uh, uh, acetylcysteine, which is uh, uh, in our prime as an oxygen radical. Uh, mm. so, you know, it, it, it binds them. In addition, to all, but you know that. So we're doing a lot of things with our prime to try to optimize and counter what mm. really happens with with death and with some of the insults that we do, like you say, clamping the head vessels. Um, so we we kind of thought about it uh, from a broad standpoint, from, you know, multiple different clinicians, from, you know, pharmacists to cardiac surgeons, intensivists, uh, pulmonologists, pro uh, you know, we, we, we've talked to a gamut of the people here at, uh, at Vanderbilt, and we've come up with a cocktail that is, that we feel is, uh, is a formidable opponent against all those things that we do. Mm-hmm. So I had another question. Uh, to actually, I guess it's a two-part question. What? How high do you see the lactates when you uh, first go? When you first get on your first lactate, we'll say. And then the second part of that question is: Do you try to achieve normal physiology, or do you try to get into an alkalotic state? Like, wh what are you trying to accomplish metabolically? That's a great question, uh, and. So, uh, depending on the, the, the time of demise, we've seen lactate as low as three. We've seen a lactate is, is greater than fifty. First one. Well, could you say that again? Um, could you say that than, again? Greater than what? Yeah, you're you're, you're getting yeah, sorry. hiccupy we've seen, again. We've seen, we've seen a lactate as low as as low as three, and as a high as, as greater than fifteen because it won't measure yeah. any uh, yeah. higher. Um, it just depends on the length of demise. On how long the patient was down, as far as warm ischemia to actual death. Right. Um, but what we do see, but what we do see, uh, 
you know, I, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but nearly all the time, we see the heart come back in a normal rhythm. We see the lactate trend at least flat, if not go down. And we also, to your second part of your, of your question is, we usually see a pH anywhere, uh, we've seen as low as 7.04, um, but we turn it around always in an alkalotic state, mm -hmm. usually in the 7.5 seven, seven to 7.6 area. That's what we preserve in it right before the cardioplegia flush. Okay. But gotcha. we turn the organs into an alkalotic state. Um, we get worried uh, a little bit with sodium um, because we, the patient, depending on what, what events happen prior to them becoming an organ donor, a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, injuries promote, uh, you know, a high saline, um, you know, a high saline drip, try to minimize, uh, you know, uh, tissue um, inflammation. And then we turn around, we, you know, our, our go-to is a bicarb to turn around, you know, a base deficit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually do have a high-end sodium uh, on the sodium scale, um, if not, um, but on a high limit. You know, we haven't seen any, any uh, you know, bad effects post-op uh, with our patients that are receiving these organs when it comes to sodium. Okay. Mm -hmm. you but it's not uncommon for us to have a sodium in the high 150s, low 160s. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's high, but, you know, not, not, it's high, but, you know, I wish there was a way to, to, to remember, I, we used to use Tham a lot. I'm assuming you, you wish you had Tham, but you can't get it anymore. Tham's hard to come by. Very hard yeah. to come by, but that was so much better than sodium bicarb as mm. far as that's yep. concerned. Mm. Um, and I'm curious that you, once you get on pump, you stay on pump for a while before the transplant and everything else, right? Before you before you explant the organs. Correct, correct. So uh, so we're on between forty five minutes and we'll say sixty five minutes um, of perfusing uh, all the all the uh, in vivo organs, mm -hmm. um, and then you know once everybody's got their infection. Um, taken care of that, that you know all their vessels really looped and, and they've got good exposure and they're ready to go they'll actually even insert cannulas into those and clamp the cannulas the liver team the kidney team they'll have all their cannulas in literally it's a really nice orchestra of, of things and it's very it's very calm and regimented uh, you know for, for the organ procurement the actual that part of it because it, it's literally okay Everybody ready to clamp? One, two, three. Everybody clamps. Everybody hooks up. Everybody starts flushing. I come off uh, the ECLS machine, keep my, uh, you know, my venous drainage open, apply vac, continue to vacuum, and everybody does their thing. It's it's really it's really well orchestrated on the back end. Uh, yeah. But you know, the whole idea. Everybody has to have you know their complement of Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Ready? And then they turn around. Are you happy with, you know, the blood preservation as far as what, are you happy with your pH? Are you happy with your calcium? Happy with your potassium? Are, are you good by the standpoint? And once, you know, everybody has a chance, you don't want to waste any more time. You want to go ahead and, and you know, proceed with the explant of all the organs. So mm -hmm. usually between 45 minutes and 65 minutes, 
all teams, including you know the 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 perfusate of the, of the blood, is turned back around and we're ready to go. Have you considered um, using because you know being that you have the bicarb issue, the sodium issue, things like that? Um, have you considered using high vol volume, like hooking a hemoconcentrator up to your circuit? Mm and using high volume CVVH with the uh, bicarb-based uh, physiologic solutions like the Prismasol or the Prismasate or the Braun fluid or the next stage fluid, they all have their own iteration of this fluid, but you would have normal sodium. It has a bicarb of 32, and uh, of course you could make the potassium whatever you want. So have you considered that? So we, 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 in the very beginning, we said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to bring a hemoconcentrator because we, a lot of these patients are fluid overloaded. I didn't mention that we actually get a, a pre-op gas on the patient um, before anything happens. So as soon as we get there, we, we try to get a pre-op gas. We, 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 we would like to have a crit greater than 25. If not, they will give, they will give the patient blood wow. before any before anything happens so the usually our our um, contacts the OPO and the and the the physicians on site there and they want us that they, they say we'd like to have a critical five or greater because but dump steroid on top we're looking closer to 21 mm -hmm. the real problem with using a hemoconcentrator and all 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 the ideas you just said they're a fantastic idea we've got two problems with that one, we've got a fixed amount of time. Really, by the time we're able to uh, get all that implemented, we're probably going to only have about 35 or 40 minutes of that. We'll be actually uh, be able to physically do that. Because the last 10 minutes, um, everybody's putting their candles in uh, uh, mechanical manipulation of, of vessels. Our perfusion uh, return, our our our, our venous return is quite poor the last ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of manipulation. So, in addition, we are fully heparinized, and we're running a pressure. We're trying to hyperperfuse these patients. We're we're trying to run a higher pressure without having vasoconstrictive things, and so you can imagine, um, uh, there. The cautery is not necessarily used as judiciously as um, what I would say I would like it to be, uh, because on normal procurements you're not worried about that. So this is a new this concept for a lot of the abdominal organ teams. So when they're cutting their dissection, they're they're doing blunt dissection. They're not using a cautery for it. Yeah. And we we have four units of blood set aside in the and. I would say 75% of the time we use at least two units of blood. Wow. Mm -hmm. So from a volume standpoint, we don't have the volume to hemoconcentrate. Mm -hmm. Even as a zero balance, mm -hmm. we, we don't, we don't, A, we don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Two, we don't, we don't have the volume to do that. We get these huge volume things um, from manipulation of just the abdominal organs, just moving the, you know, the intestines and, and trying to get exposure. There's a real, there's a real, you know, pushing and, and pulling on, on, um, you know, the, the, the IVC um, and, and the D, hmm. vena cava. Sure, absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
Did you have some questions? I have a couple questions. Uh, you actually answered one of mine about or what. I asked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You asked and Matt answered okay, about that. <laughs> about what kind of pH you were going for. But so when we were talking about um, your numbers, or, or when you were talking about numbers earlier, about just taking, uh, using the kidney procurements and talking about, um, you know, if you just took 30% of that, it's additional 400 hearts uh, a year that could be used for transplants. What, what's the current shortfall um, that where people needing hearts and there aren't enough hearts available? Do you have any numbers on that? I, someone just gave me a website last night that I was unfamiliar with, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, um, TN TNO. Uh, there's a website out there. I looked at it last night. I can look it on my phone right now because I made it a link. But I, I looked last night. So the DCD population of donors versus the regular brain death donors. Yeah. It's it's three to one. Wow. So there are three more. DCD donors for every one brain dead donor. Huh. And so you can imagine that, that, you know, I think there's only three or four, maybe five centers doing DCD hearts in the country. So you can imagine. Yeah. If yeah. there were, you know, if there, if there were people doing DCD hearts, there would be three times the amount of organs God, for people incredible. to choose from. Yeah. So that in itself right there is pretty telling in my mind. Mm -hmm. I, I I, I want to say there was 15,000 donors last year, or, and, and I could be wrong because I, I looked at a number. It was 10,000. It was 10,700. I, I looked at the site last night, but mm -hmm. that could have been over a three-year period. Oh, yeah. I, uh, it could have been over a two-year period. There's a window. There's a sliding bar yeah. that on this website, and, and I'll, I, I should know it, but I just found out about last night. But I, I haven't really played with it. But it's a nat national registry of organ donation, oh, okay. and and you can do it region, you can do it by center. Um, all I, I would assume any transplant coordinator, uh, our, our our transplant coordinator knew about it because I asked her about it last night. She goes, oh yeah, that's what I look at. She goes, yeah, because you're always asking me well, how, what number are we on. She goes, you can always look at it and you can skew it by by institution. So, okay. you know, I've got it pinged on Vanderbilt. How many, you know, how many how many uh, transplants we've done across, you know, all organs. Yeah, uh, here. so so it, on it's a uh, it, that data is it's a public knowledge. Okay. So is it safe to say, to your question, is it safe to say that there are in the current state a significant shortage of donor hearts for for patients that need a heart transplant? Absolutely. I, I, and I, I do remember an anecdotal paper saying out there that if we did DCDs, um, you know, and OCS, this is in, in inclusion of OCS, I think it was a kind of an OCS paper um, or a white paper that we, we would be able to cut our shortage by 40%. Oh, wow. So it, 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 there was a significant shortage, but inclusive of, of OCS, if we would use OCS, um, we could cut the, the shortfall by 40%. That isn't that doesn't necessarily even talk about the regular NRP. Right. Um, you know because uh, and so I'm sure you know I'm sure combined you know we're, we would still have a shortage, but not to the not the extent that we have. Mm -hmm. And I apologize not having that data. No, that's oh, it's, that's it's all right. fine. Um, real, an, another just real quick question. I know you touched on this about um, determining OC uh, OCS versus NRP. 
So mm -hmm. how is that? I know it's determined by distance and, and all of those other sorts of things that you said, but when you're actually, is a committee sitting down and determining, uh, okay, this one, this potential one came up, we're going to do it this way. How, who's determining that? Um, so we, we, we have our, so uh, a, a sponsor or, you know, the, uh, the sponsor who, who takes for the study because it's not quite FDA approved yet. Oh, I see. That's they're in. So our, our chairman of cardiac surgery, mm -hmm. he, he's our sponsor. Yeah. And so he makes the determination whether we're going to do, you know, whether we do the OCS, whether we do NRP, uh, you know, what, or, yeah. or just, you know, you know, uh, you know, what, what mechanism of, of going and getting the, um, the organs. Yeah. Um, he, and, and he also takes in consideration the implanting surgeon, you know, mm -hmm. it, you know, that they talk about it because ultimately, responsible sometimes he's the implanting surgeon but uh, if he's not they, they have you know they talk about it I see interesting yeah and then last thing is there um, have you had because uh, it seems like the hyperperfusion would be better as you said for all the organs is there ever a, been an incident where incidents where you went in to harvest the heart you, you're on pump and then you determine that uh, you're not ever able. You're not going to be able to um, uh, remove the heart, and that you leave the um, the patient on uh, hyperperfusion to help uh, normalize all the other organs. Have you come across that? Yep. Uh, in those seven percent instances that we have uh, 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 that we don't get the heart, um, namely it's due to aortic dissection or aortic mm -hmm. uh, hematoma. Um, but it also, it also can be, you know, remember uh, DCD, uh, the OPOs don't get to run, uh, you know, not even sometimes echoes on these patients because that is, a, a TEE is actually a procedure oh. that is not, would not be indi indicated for the medical treatment of that patient, right? right. Because right. if they've got a head injury, there's no reason to actually echo them. Right. Um, so a lot of times, you know, it's very minimal, very minimal knowledge going in, in what kind of cardiac mm -hmm. um, they have other than just age and just anecdotally what's their blood pressure and what's their heart yeah. rate um, so, so a couple things we've we've dissected the aorta before mm -hmm. got a huge hematoma tried to fix it and then got the true lumen but because of the dissection ran uh, you know retrograde towards the coronaries mm -hmm. we knew that we weren't going to take the heart yeah so we've lost the heart but we continue to perfuse for the rest right. of the abdominal team for that hour We've yeah. done that a couple times, um, yeah. so we know the heart's no good. But you know we're we're playing team ball here, and that's, right. that's you know that that's what we do. Right. Um, well, the other thing is we've done it. We've done where we completely do a, a um, you know, a full run. They go to cut the heart out. They go to cut the heart out, and they look, and the patient's got a bicuspid aortic valve. Uh, Unknown, but we're not going to transplant a bicuspid aortic valve. Right. So the heart, we, we just say no. Although we perfuse the heart for an hour, the heart looks great. Mm -hmm. They're not going to implant a bicuspid aortic valve into someone. Right. Um, well, it, and then probably the third thing is that's why our age limit on the upper end of these DCDs are, are about 35. We've gotten in there and they, they go to 10 or, you know, even during it, 
they feel and there's you know there's you know there's a, a calcium deposit in the LED. They yeah, can just see it. That's what I was watching. And I was actually then, gonna follow up then, with that. Then you go, you know, early early CAD in, you know patients, you don't have a good history of what they have. You know, you know, these are patients that you know some event happened to them. And sometimes, you know, they don't even have any family history. They don't even know, um, you know, there's not a, a good record of what's going on. They have a loved one or on the back of their driver's license, their check for an organ donator. Um, but so they don't have a family history. You know, you have no idea. But once you in there and you go, you know, we're refusing it, the surgeon feels, and the next thing you know, he's like, this, there's a huge calcium deposit on this LAD. And so, you know, we make a phone call back and they're like, nope, uh, you know, we'll, you know, we're, we're going to pass on this. But. We continue with the procedure for all the other abdominal organs. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So that's all my questions. I was going to follow up with if you ever had to turn down the heart for um, something being wrong with the heart that you didn't know. So, of course, you covered that. So. Yep. Yeah, well, he, one of your slides said um, it, uh, you had eyeball. Yeah, uh, looking at yep. the heart, right? <laughs> so, you're, right, you're looking at yep. it. And if it's not, whether it be something obvious, like mm -hmm. a bicuspid aortic valve or something obvious, like a big calcific plaque on a blood, on a, one of the coronaries, especially the LAD, um, you're looking at it. But you, are you also looking at how it reanimates and how mm -hmm. it's contracting? That's a good point, Joe, and I, and I apologize. Yeah, so at the 45-minute mark, we actually come off bypass. We actually come off the bypass circuit, and we actually fill the entire heart up. And we take a video, oh. usually about a 30-second video of the hemodynamics and what the heart is doing, and we send it back to the implanting surgeon just so they know what the heart function looks like. That's important. I forgot to I forgot to explain that. Wow. That's a great point, Joe. Yeah. So the, the you know the the implanting surgeon actually gets eyeballs on what the functioning heart would look like. Wow. Temporarily, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and of course they don't have levo, you know they don't have you know dibutamine, dopamine, whatever inotropes that you're going to have. This is just cold turkey come off, and this is what you get. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so, um, but you know, usually you know these organs are you know 18 to 35 years old, and you know, you know it, it may not be <laughs> generating the blood pressure that you want, but they're looking more on on what the you know what the squeeze is doing, what mm -hmm. the, what the visual EF is doing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And one other thing I for, one other thing I forgot to mention as far as the eyeball test, we've also gotten in there and because maybe it was a rollover car accident or you know it was blunt trauma, uh, you know, uh, you know, motorcycle like it is, you get in there and then all of a sudden um, you'll see a huge hematoma on the heart, uh, or even a laceration, and so when they go to take the pericardial window, or you know, they, cardium. And exposed instead of just seeing pericardial fluid, you know it's it's bloody. Yeah. And then you look on the right atrium or the right ventricle, and there's a huge, you know, laceration, a huge bruise. Mm. And that's it. Well. You're going to reject that. We, yeah, we've had that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Like so, a big cardiac contusion would be, or yep. or uh, uh, you know, cavitation, uh, a cavity rupture is going to be. You're done. That's yep. it. But, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and it's usually not a cavity rush, but the, the, but we have seen huge hematomas on the heart from a blunt, from a blunt, uh, you know, a blunt, tra a blunt trauma. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah big time. Hmm. Well, very good, Matt. This was excellent. This was out. This was. We have 
I, yeah, I could go on for much, much, much longer. Yeah. But in, in deference to your time and, and everyone else, I have to just ask, can we do this again? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, do a part Absolutely. two of this. Yeah. And uh, I have said it, I don't know how many times now, Tammy and I and Min are coming to Nashville. We're going to do a program from there. And uh, we've, we've got to do it. You know, for us, I don't know, I'm assuming you're seeing the same thing. And that was something I wanted to mention, is that it's surprising to me how high your heart transplant volume was able to stay through COVID. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning for us, we were really, no, we don't do transplants, but we were dropped way off on hearts. But then it has roared back. Mm -hmm. And even during yep. really the time when we had so many patients on ECMO in the ICU, we were doing more hearts than we had ever done. We were doing, you know, we usually do three to four a day. We were doing six well, and seven. Well, yep. in a couple days, we had 10 or 11. Yeah. That's hearts. a lot more. Yeah, that's for a lot us, more. For yes. team our size, that's a lot. Yeah, it was insanity. It was <laughs> insanity. But, you know, our, our volume has really cut our, our uh, number of patients. We only have currently one patient remaining uh on uh on ecmo for covid uh, for covid covid ecmo and uh in the local houston area we're down to 14 percent of critical care space occupied by covid but patients that's really changed just in the past i don't know uh you know 15 days uh, yes. maybe 20 days because just a yep. few weeks ago we had quite a number of patients yes. still on ECMO for COVID. Yes, we went from we went from a, from like eleven, actually twelve. When you think of the other hospitals, yeah. the outliers that we get, and we've put a couple in and got them transferred right away. So yes. that helped us a lot. But uh, we went from you know eleven or twelve to eight to six to four to two within a matter of ten days. It was ten days. Just so dropped right yeah, we off. We see the same thing. Big drop off. Yeah. We, we're no longer, you know, either decannulating or, or someone expiring and then cleaning that circuit up and just rolling it to the next room on yeah. the list. So right. that, that's, right. that's yeah. a good thing. We actually have put some equipment away. And, you know, and, and it's interesting because I had a, uh, I could bring this up to you, but Tammy and I recently had a conversation with a, uh, with a hospital and, uh, one of the things that I said, uh, which I was, you know, quite serious about, is that I have, I, Joe, have miscalculated now three times about the end of this surge of patients that we were going to get with ECBOs. Um, and I don't plan, if I plan on miscalculating the fourth time, it's going to be because I overplanned and it didn't happen as opposed to using hope as a strategy, which was just not smart on my part. Uh, but I wasn't sure. I, I really believed after the second one, I was confident it was over. And then the third one hit us uh, even worse than the first one or the second one. I, 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 can only, I can only assume now that a fourth is coming and I have to prepare for it at this point in time. Uh, I think I that's not. a smart bet. I think uh, we'll see what Thanksgiving and the uh, Christmas holiday is going to bring, but um, I, I ain't worried about that. 
Okay, well, I don't feel alone then, but I'm I'm working diligently on solving this as a as an issue because we it 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 is it really did break the morale of the group, the people in the group. This was very very difficult. It was challenging for me, um, but of course, when you're in the thick of it, it's kind of like the boats dropping you off at Normandy. You can't stay on it. You have to get off. And you have to run across this beach. Yeah. You really don't have a choice. And I felt that we were basically in that situation. And uh, as many times as I tried giving words of encouragement, um, they were, in essence, impotent to the reality of the situation. People were, we were, we we have been beaten as a community. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I believe so. Well, final thoughts. Well, thanks, and Joe. Yeah. Thank you. Matt, I, I don't know if I'm going to just say this every week, but that was really incredible. Probably the best talk that um, you guys have given. So I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Exactly. And after this program's well, over, I'm going to tell David over there, best show ever. Yep. That's what I always say. Except your internet connection today wasn't good. You kept drifting in and out a little yeah. bit, but that's okay. We have, we have voiceover, so we'll just fill it in. Hopefully it'll be correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds good. All right. Well, thanks again, Joe. Thanks, Bye, guys. We'll see you next month.